Welcome to a bit of a new era for Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast. I'm James Langer, joined this week by Ryan Topp, Paul Noonan, and Brad Ford. Ryan, thanks for uh, letting us join in here. Yeah, you guys were kind of my my dream team that it was this was the group I really wanted and everybody was able to do it. So it it worked out. I, I really wasn't expecting, especially Paul, because of your RAA duties. I really didn't think you were going to have time <laughs> to do it. And then you said yes. And I was like, oh, well, OK, that's fantastic then. So it this was this was sort of the group that I wanted to put together and it worked perfectly. So uh, I'm happy to I'm have happy you guys to be on. I always like this is always a good time. I'm, I'm always I always have a good time when I'm on the pod and uh, really like doing RAA too. So I'm glad you asked me. And we got Brad here to, to kind of pick up the uh, minor league slack a little bit with JP leaving. So, yeah, because I don't know anything about any minor league players in yeah. any capacity at all. Right. Other than what I read JP right. So if you specialize in an area, very few people want to look into. All of a sudden you become a hot commodity on the market. And very true. <laughs> so that's the key is just find something that no one else is doing and stay up till midnight tweeting out Arizona League scores and watching more video than you <laughs> anyone should ever watch. Brad knows more about the Rocky Mountain vibes than anyone else, I'm, I'm going to guess. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I'm really excited about Micah Bello this year. Joe Gray's going to get healthy, but we'll get into that on a whole different show. Yeah, I had minor league uh, TV a few years ago. I didn't have it last year, but I think in 2018 I did. And I found myself like after a game was over, uh, if the Brewers won, I was happy to like, oh, let's go see what's going on in the minor leagues. And if the Brewers lost, I'm like, screw this. I'm out. Like, <laughs> I'm done with baseball for the night. I'm going to do something else. Let's see I what, what rerun of Frazier's on. Yeah, I had that included free at some point in my subscription, and I used it all the time. And I just do the auto renewal, and they took it off my sub at some point. So I should actually just do it again. Um, I, I miss the minor league um, streams. They're great. Yeah, compared to MLB.TV, too, it's so affordable, and you yep. have so many freaking games that you have access to. For me, like, my emotions are probably more based on what's happening in the minors and whether there's something exciting to, ha- or to actually watch that, like, it's my saving grace for when the Brewers are pissing me off to actually go and be like, okay, but I can go watch Bryce Terang and see what he does in the infield. Until I get traded for a reliever at the deadline or something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's coming. <laughs> that is absolutely coming, yes. All right. Well, as always, you can help people find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you want to send us a question to talk about, you can do that in a few different ways. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. Or you can follow along on our Facebook page, too. You can also follow all of us on Twitter. Uh, Ryan is at RD Top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. Brad is at Brew Crew Blue. And I'm at James L. If you want to support the podcast network, you can do that at patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. And above patrons get the monthly minor league extra podcast with Brad now, as well as the reporting as eligible weekly Packers preview with Paul, at least until the Packers crush all of our dreams in the playoffs. Oh, man, we are recording this directly before they play the Seahawks, by the way, for yeah, everybody listening. Yeah. So, so. so, you know, maybe maybe uh, we, we won't have to worry about that. For That's sure. why we all still sound happy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. Exactly. But there will be one next week if they win. If not, probably not, because what would I even be previewing? Just yeah, sadness. Yeah. yeah, just a postmortem, maybe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, we are sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know their great beers, Dragon Flute, Block Party, and my personal favorite, the flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. 
plenty of other beers too, and you can try them all at their tap room over on Kinsman Boulevard on Madison's East Side. Check it out, and while you're at it, you can get 20% off their merch online with the promo code MKE Tailgate. Just go to carbon4.com for more info. Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You know, I was really practicing those promo reads too. I, I gotta. I don't know if I can do it as well as Steve, but you know, I I, I gave it a shot there. He has he has the practice in. So you've been yeah. over to the tap room on Kinsman Boulevard, then James, because you're you're a Madison guy now. So I am a Madison guy now. Yes, yeah. Um, honestly, like one of my favorite spots, and I'm not just trying to get a free drink there. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty cool spot to play uh, to watch a game. Actually, I, I think I've gone there for a couple of Packer games. They had meat raffles and everything like that. So it's, it's, Ooh, it's you had play. me at meat raffles, nice. right? Yeah, anytime you can spin a wheel and win free meats, that's <laughs> that is so. the most Wisconsin thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I want to <yeah. laughs> say for the divisional uh, playoff weekend, I was there for an entire evening a couple years ago. I don't think it was last year, but a couple years ago and it was yeah they had all the tvs set up it was great great place to watch a game and if it's nice out uh so you know seven eight months out of the year you can go outside and they have a porch patio area where they have like lawn games and all that stuff set up so you can do that too so it's very nice to hang out there yeah yeah nice spot for sure um well let's let's get to uh the brewers talk you know it, it is uh kind of a quiet few weeks there right but uh you know we finally have things to talk about now <laughs> you know um you know david stearns i think earlier last week said he he would be surprised if he was done adding at the time i think it was kind of looked on with skepticism but hey it, it wasn't gm speak he ended up signing logan morrison to a minor league deal he also signed uh former cardinal jed jerko uh for a I think it was $2 million this year with an option for next year because, of course, everybody he is signing this year has an option for next <laughs> year. They have an option. <laughs> um, so I guess we'll start with that. Uh, guys, thoughts and feelings on adding Jed Jerko to the fold? I mean, it does sort of fill a need. They were light at third base. It was probably their lightest position on the field still at this point because they're relying on Eric Sogard to continue his bounce back from 2018 after a very subpar 2017 and whatever they could potentially get from Ryan Healy, who's really more defensively of a first baseman anyway. So this did kind of fill a need, but you know, it's, it's underwhelming. And I get that. The thing about Jerko is he was above average in terms of hitting in WRC plus he was actually over 110 for three straight seasons from 16 to 18. So he has that in his past. And last year he, he, he had kind of a similar situation, I think, to Travis Shaw, where he fell out of favor and then found it hard to get back on the field. And he was also traded in the middle of that from the, the Cardinals to the Dodgers. So he sort of, you know, lost playing time between two teams that were definitely competing and didn't want to let him work his way out of his struggles. And so the hope is, obviously, that he can, with a fresh start, find something in Milwaukee that he didn't get last year. And he's only 32. I wouldn't expect him to be completely washed at this point. And he's a fine defender at third base and can fill in second and short as well. So he has the utility they want. He's kind of a typical David Stern's ad in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think the signing itself is smart. I mean, you can get a guy who's been above average in terms of production at that price and that's the like ryan said a very typical david stern's ad where you try to get extreme surplus value on a guy coming off of it um obviously he also had the back and wrist injuries last year which we know from ryan braun ha can really hamper performance 
Yeah. Um, so you you see his hard ball, her hard hit rate drop. You see some struggles with his contact and getting the infield fly ball, and those injuries add up to understanding why that would happen. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't I, think he's washed, but you do worry about that kind of thing. Like when you, when right. you start to incur, especially those kinds of injuries, they can really sap offensive performance. Um, those two specifically, in fact, sap offensive performance quite a lot. So uh, it's a it's fine. It's it is totally a Stearns move. I I do think we we maybe are, are a little heavy on lottery tickets and not heavy enough on on core at this point. That's just where I would lean generally across the board on all the recent signings. Um, but I mean, it's a fine risk to take. I have low expectations for him. If he performs well, good for that. But you know, this is this is diving. This is dumpster diving a little bit. He's uh he's not going to be a star. And that's exactly how I feel. You go from two of very certain. Mike Moustakis, yeah, he had a second best year in performance last year, but it was really in line with who he's been. And you knew what you were getting in Mike Moustakis in a Brewers uniform. Um, while I never would have matched that deal that he got, losing him and Yasmani Grandal, you're losing, uh, depending on where you're looking, let's say nine or eight F war, uh, war. And you haven't really replaced that for certain. You have players who potentially can do that, but Jerko hasn't had been a three-war player. Sogard is coming off a very um, uncharacteristic season that was very <laughs> So you're relying for it. Yeah, you're relying on these guys who like um, we've all had. We've all had Eric Sogard on the team. Like I, I like him. He's he's a cool personality. But, I mean, his season last year was uh, – he's probably not going to repeat it. Like, we have a lot of Eric Sogard sample size. That's probably not going to happen again. Maybe it will. Maybe if you protect him with, you know, a platoon partner, it will. But this is counting on a lot from guys that we know aren't as good as Moustakis as in an aggregate form, especially in Miller Park, um, where Moustakis, I think, was the perfect fit. Um, and also in his new park where it's tiny and small and he can hit home runs on fly balls. So I was doing some looking – if you look at what the Brewers got last year out of the left side of their infield, just not player-wise, but literally who played those positions on those days, uh, they got two wins out of third base and negative .7 wins out of uh, shortstop. So they were, from the left side of their infield last year, they produced, and this is Fangraph's war, they produced 1.3 wins. And so if you look at that and then look at what they're projected this year, also on Fangraph's, they're at 3.2 from the left side right now is the projection. So I think that they probably did get better there, and they'll have to. They need to get better in the infield generally because they're going to lose a lot from catcher. There's no two ways about that unless yep. Omar Narvaez somehow figures out how to like be a competent defender and some magic spell happens there. They're going to lose a lot of value at catcher because last year they did lead. They led the majors in, in Fangraph's war at catcher, and they're not going to get close to that this year. So. I'm shockingly confident in the Brewers' ability to develop Narvaez defensively, not to be a Yasmani Grandal, but to at least cut into that negative fielding ability that he has where he's actually a detriment to the team. Uh, you look at what I just, when you look at Manny Pena coming in and how he's become a def uh, defensive stud uh, behind the plate, he wasn't bad but he was not nearly as successful as he is and you look at players like jacob nottingham who the thing everything 
everyone said, oh, he can hit. He'll probably play first base because he can't catch and he can't do anything behind home plate. Now he's a defensive replacement at catcher who can't hit. They completely turned him around and his identity around. Um, so I, I agree that, y- yes, you were never going, aside from re- re-signing Yasmani, you were never going to replace Yasmani. Omar is one I'm not going to ever really rag on because it is probably as close as you were going to get. Um, unless you did a cash grow platoon, which I get not betting on a 37-year-old catcher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but when you're looking at the infield specifically, um, yes, I understand that third base was heavily manned by Travis Shaw, and then you had your Perez's uh, on that side too, and you're hoping that Urias is an upgrade over Arcia, who we're finding out more and more was in liability in all aspects of the game last year. Yeah, it's funny that we had somebody who's worse than uni across the board. But right. <laughs> that appears to be the case. So, uh, who I miss him now. I miss Betancourt. <laughs> Not just for making fun of him either. I mean, uh, the thing was, last year, they were so... Oh, this actually got downgraded. They apparently integrated some of those numbers. Uh, the number 29 team in baseball last year at shortstop for Fangraphs War was the Pirates, and they had 1.4. The Brewers were negative 0.8. So they were more than two wins worse than the worst, the next worst team in terms of shortstop production. Yeah. This is this is like downright uni levels of crap. Yeah, and I am really high on Urias. Uh, I think they expect him to be the Yelich or Grandal adding of the offseason. I think they thought, hey, we're trading Trent Grisham at a time when he's really high on him. We do not need this outfield depth because outfield depth is extremely accessible and we can go sign uh, Garcia and play him in uh, the corner outfields while playing Ryan Braun some at first. And instead we can get this guy who maybe he's not the best defensive shortstop. We know he's not the best defensive shortstop, but his hit tool is phenomenal. And we believe that with some tweaks to how they uh, managed to swing last year, because you look at it in the Padres, although the Padre fans will argue with you about this all day, the stuff I can find that's actually physical compared to their anecdotal evidence is that they really tried to add an uppercut to Urias's swing last year, which really threw off his timing because he has such an aggressive front step. So when he takes that advance to the ball, he was actually not level with where he thought it was. So his hand-eye coordination is completely thrown off. And when you see his success come back in the later half of the year, it's because they were trying to get him back to where he was while still trying to play up some of his home run ability because he can hit the ball so well, so consistently and hopefully getting it over the fence. But now that he is more back to what he was in terms of his mechanics, um, I'm very high on what he can contribute to the team. And they had middle infield depth. They didn't really need him. Yeah. They still went out and acquired another second baseman after trading Urias, but they had the opportunity to upgrade over what they had still. Um, I think it was a very fair trade that I think will benefit. I just still, even though Moustakas was an over at third base, I still wonder if the if they're going to get the replacement value that they need to get out of losing. Because more or less, you need shortstop, third base, and catcher to cumulatively make up for the loss of Grandal and Moustakas. So you're looking for eight war to be made up. Yeah. And I'm not sure those four players do that. I agree. And also, taking this all separately is a useful way to look at how good the team is going to be. But like, just because you added Urias to upgrade over Arcia, and I agree with 
everything you just said, that that's a big upgrade. It doesn't mean that you have to cheap out and punt at third base. Like, and I know Mustakis got a huge deal. That I I, I complain. I should complain less about that one. He got he got paid a ton. I understand not matching that one. I'm more grumpy about the Grandal one, but like you can still keep other good people and have those upgrades happen. So yeah, in the aggregate, maybe they didn't lose as much, but they definitely lost some probability there. And I, it's it shouldn't be looked at as, as an excuse to downgrade at other places just because you made a good deal to upgrade it somewhere else. Like, no, Grandal is for the... analyzing, but it's not an excuse. Yeah, Grandal is the big one. I think that yeah, you, you nailed right. that. Like that's the one, and that's also the one where you look at that deal and you go, "That's not an insane deal for him," and he probably it's it, not. You could probably no, you know justify they were afraid that. Of that fourth year. You know they were, but then again, like you can get Eventually, a lot. Eventually, you just have to commit to things you're afraid of that aren't that bad. <clears throat> and that's the, the probably my. Uh, I mean, I still like David Stearns. I still think he's a phenomenal GM. But that's been my thing that has been most frustrating this season is the market picked back up again. Uh, we can get into my conspiracy theory about why I picked back up again on a different time, but uh, <laughs> I have thoughts. Uh, the market picked back up again, and it because it wasn't what it was the last two years where t- players aren't getting the deals they want, it put Stearns in a situation where if he wanted to sign players who were proven commodities, he would have to do things that were uncomfortable for him and he obviously would not pull that trigger on that which is what has made him a successful gm because he's always set his price point his time point and what he's willing to do in exchange for uh whether it's a trade or a signing and him not budging from that is what helps the brewers be successful and is something that we as fans probably take for more granted than we should but at the same time being a little uncomfortable on a deal like grandal's deal I feel like it's something even the most cautious GM should be willing to take the risk on. Yeah. I wonder if the Grandal, if they had known that they were going to be able to get the players that they got elsewhere at the prices that they got them at, would they have been more aggressive with Grandal? If Grandal were still in the market right now, would they potentially give him that deal? I, I do kind of legitimately wonder. I, I wonder how much that was a, they still weren't sure exactly how the offseason was going to play out. That yeah. was a big number early on, and they didn't want to get locked into it in case they needed, because they had so many other needs they needed to fill, and they didn't necessarily know how much they were going to have to pay to fill them. So I, I do wonder if the timing of that was problematic too, because you look at it now and you go, that would fit perfectly. It would, it would be yeah. almost a perfect And it was fit. really early. Yeah. And it was it super was. early. Well, instead of, you know, locking down Grandal or or maybe kind of going for a lot more of those regular players, it looks like maybe he's kind of shifted his strategy to kind of collect as much depth as possible. And, and as a result, we actually got a Twitter question about this. Um, depending on how you want to define the timeshares for platoons right now, uh, it looks like the Brewers might have up to four platoons going into the season. Um do you guys think that's a good idea? I mean, there's obviously advantages to it, but um, you know, this this might feel a little excessive to some people. Yeah. So, <laughs> given that the rosters have changed, we're now looking at 13 position players on the roster, basically locked in. We're we're pretty sure that that's going to be the case now, and that is one to two more than they've carried in recent years. More often than not, it's actually two more. 
So there is more room on your roster to have platoons, to have guys in timeshares like that than there used to be. So I think that there is a strategic element to this, that they are looking at it and saying that we know that uh, that we have to carry these extra position players. We might as well try to get use out of them and see if we can we can scrape value that way because they are going to be limited on the pitching side to 13 pitchers now. So I think that part of this is just them adjusting to the way that the game is being uh, is being the rules are being set up now. I, I I like platoons generally speaking, but I do think you can get too heavy in it and. I actually, I think it can hurt you, especially late in games, um, because platoon guys, you know, their big strength is they're good against, you know, opposite side. Their big weakness, though, is that they're very easy to take advantage. And, you know, once you swap out one for another, you become much more vulnerable without extra bench depth to, for those key spots. So uh, maybe a minor concern as you get down to the end of the bench late in games, but I do think it helps to have a core of call them normal players for lack of a better term um, who, who can get you through those late innings without care of, you know, having to pinch hit all the time, um, pinch hitting all the time. Also, we should, you know, pinch hitting as a penalty too. Um, it, it, you're worse when you come into pinch hits, when you do it more frequently, you're going to, you know, drive down everybody's offensive production to some extent. So um, on, on the subs, on the starting, I'm totally great with it. It's fine. But I, I do wish they had just a couple more, solid, um, you know, normal hit every side, okay, players, so that they weren't doing this kind of all the time. Um, we'll see. Uh, the, a little skeptical. But the weird thing about the platoon players they've signed are they are more okay at hitting both sides of the plate. I would think the only area where that's not true is Omar Narvaez. When you're looking at him and he hits 287 with a 790 OPS against righties versus a 688 OPS in his career against lefties, uh, obviously not a lot of success there. But when you look at Jerko, who has a 705 OPS against righties, which is the same side, compared to a 796 against lefties, there's not a lot of variance there. And that's pretty consistent across the board. Uh, with Smoke, he actually hits lefties better as a switch hitter in terms of making contact, but he loses power. Oh, he has yeah. more power from the left-hand side of the plate. And then Sogard, um, again, you're seeing a 661 OPS on the right side or against righties compared to a 659 OPS against lefties. Yeah. So I think they're shockingly pretty much the same across the board it's just they're hoping to get those little boosts in terms of the platoons that they do take advantage of well and the other thing to your concerns paul i think that we could potentially see it being less of an issue this year because we do think that the three batter minimum rule is going to come into play which is going to make it harder for managers to just make pitching swaps for matchups a very good point and i totally forgot about that rule change mm -hmm. so yeah that does play into that right i bet you're right so i'm just still in denial <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird it's such a major change especially for like when you look at it it's funny because Manfred side rant Manfred's been so into changing the pace of play and you look at like everything he's accumulated to and the rules he's changed have saved like a cumulative six minutes <laughs> like oh wow what a huge stamp you made on the game Rob meanwhile he's trying to eliminate minor league baseball I don't know Rob Manfred should drive into a ditch <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the the thing is that the rate at which the games were increasing, 
just to, to be a little bit fair to, to Manfred, like the game, the game length was increasing at quite a clip. So just to have like even paused it would have been an accomplishment, let alone to actually take a little bit back off of that. But yeah, they're definitely doing some things that are just pointless and I don't get. And the three batter thing, I know the players don't like it. Like they are actually not okay with it, especially well, in careers. Game. Well, yeah. yeah, it makes a whole bunch of pitchers useless. <laughs> <laughs> that's no good. But thankfully, we still have Alex Claudio. Yeah, I mean, we had Alex Claudio back on a, a lesser deal. So, I mean, yeah. well, it's going to be really it interesting. It was a good re-signing, but it, yeah, it's a, you figure he was one of the people who would get hampered by that. You look at the matchups and how many, I mean, it's like 20 pitchers who no longer can be regularly used and because the other guys can still make it because they still have to fill out the roster. Um, or they can be minor league depth and they can be adequate when facing both sides. But you're looking at those guys with the extreme splits in terms of who they're facing. And it's really minor. But when you're talking about, oh, well, we just increased roster to 26 and we made it mandatory that one hitter will be there. So more people can get jobs while doing something on the other side that's eliminating jobs. Just it's contradicting points and you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Last year, I think it was the number was 4.8% of pitching appearances would have violated the rule. So it was a, I mean, we're talking under 5% of the uh, the relief appearances. So it, I think it's actually going to be less of an impact than we probably think it is going to be. So I should probably cool down on my whole, <laughs> like it, it doesn't seem to have drastically changed their opinion of Claudio and they're pretty smart and they would understand how that they would need to, to use that. So they I don't think it's going to drastically change things. Look, I have a platform, and I need to be mad. <laughs> You've given me this power. Don't don't try to talk me into rationality here. All right. Well, uh, Craig Council kind of made his name with uh, kind of maximizing those those um, matchups, and specifically his his September maneuverings. He's got a new extension now through twenty twenty three. Um, actually at this current pace probably puts him on pace to at least get close to becoming the winningest manager in team history. Uh, just a really quick question for you guys. Just how bad for how long would the Brewers have to be for them to fire Craig Council? Two losing seasons, I think, but they have to be bad losing seasons, like slow 70 wins or lower, um, come back to back. Otherwise I think they'll let, give them a pretty long leash actually, because I think that I was a little surprised it was only three years. But, of course, David loves his flexibility. Yeah. Issues with uh, with players would have to emerge. There would have to be some sort of public thing that blew up. He all of a sudden stopped, like, getting along with Stearns. I can't imagine because he has the support of ownership. Remember, he was installed as the manager by Mark Atanasio and handed to his, at that point, un, uh, undecided GM and was told, this is your manager. Craig Council's your manager. You two learn to work together. And, you know, that a lot of people did not like that. Keith Law did not like that. That was not an appreciated thing, but it's worked <laughs> out great. It has turned out to be a wonderful match from all accounts. Like we we can't see any. Have, have, can you guys remember any public disagreement between Stearns and Council where something got out where they were at odds with each other in some way, shape or form, even a hint of it? I can't. No, no, not at all. And I think Council's, you know, tenure in front office environment probably helps a lot with that too. I, it's hard to imagine him like losing enough to get fired to some extent. Um, 
because I, first of all, I think he's very good. And I think that everybody kind of knows that. And he is kind of just, uh, you know, he, he really listens to what the front office tells him both strategically and just in terms of how the team should be run. Um, it, it would take like a falling out, I think, or just a disaster for it to happen. I would say like three seasons. I bet two wouldn't even do it because in the event, we might have to, like that's a possibility. <laughs> and I think everybody will put the blame properly on the players, the quality of players they have in that scenario or injuries or something else. So um, I think it would take kind of a disaster to get council actually fired. Um, like I, yeah. I, I would go three on that. I think that it would be more likely that the front office would move on from Stearns than council in the situation. That's more likely, yeah. Um, I also think if they did go into losing, it would be in a period of rebuilding where everyone would know if they got to that record. I'm not predicting rebuilding is coming. No need for mass panic. Uh, <laughs> if they got to that record, I think it would be kind of purposeful, and I don't think great council would bear the repercussions of that. What, you don't think that they're already rebuilding? I on twitter.com a lot of people think that they're rebuilding and you hear that a lot on there so i don't know the most I, terrifying thing i can do is go through the beat writers replies and just see what the masses think and it just hurts like i have i i have if you look at my twitter feed i have a lot of hesitancy about the things they've done but at the same time like yeah i'm not happy with everything they've done because i would rather with the payroll flexibility they have they sign people who we know can contribute <laughs> but at the same time i don't hate it all i i think i can see the logic behind it all which makes me not dislike or not hate it or like turn against it as long as you can see the logic there there's no reason to despise it but meanwhile people are like oh jerko he hit 36 points of batting average last year and yeah. and they just get you know give themselves coronaries getting upset over <laughs> things that they just won't think about for five seconds oh, yeah i true. think we can all agree that uh those mentions are terrible. Uh, I don't envy them. No, no. You uh, on the topic of play, uh, payroll flexibility. Um, this is also arbitration figure deadline week, um, and kind of all eyes. You know, I know Ryan, you've been talking about this for a few pods now. All eyes on the, the Josh Hader situation, uh, qualifying as a super two, um, just making that deadline i'm pretty sure he would he was the cutoff right like he was the super two cutoff his day uh, he was the exact days to get super two yeah <laughs> right exactly um so so in that regard a little bit of uh, bad luck for the brewers and and you know maybe part of the reason they kept this this flexibility is because they were kind of had eyes on this on this case um turns out that hater filed for 6.4 million dollars in arbitration which would be a record for a first-time RB-eligible reliever. I think Papelbon had, like, what, 6.2 or 6.3 million. So he haters shooting for a record here. Team offered 4.1 million. Um, I guess general question for you guys would be how much of the payroll can the Brewers devote to a single reliever, even if it is somebody like Josh Hader? Yeah, I don't think there's any problem with them devoting that much money or even more money uh, the way that the roster is currently constructed. I don't see any issue with that. The question is, is there a better way for them to, you know, use his talent and in a trade, it would have to be like an exceptional amount of talent coming back the other direction. But I don't think money wise, it's, it's really a problem. It is interesting to see 
that he is trying to at least a little bit break the precedent there. And he doesn't have the saves that, say, Papelbon did because Papelbon was a closer almost from the moment he got to the big leagues. I know they tried to work him into the starting rotation a bit, but he was basically a closer for that whole time. And Hader has not been. And so he doesn't have the big save numbers. So he's going to have to rely in the in the hearing on not saves. It's going to have to be like strikeouts and you know, maybe some advanced metrics and things. And I don't know, given how weird and (laughs) backwards and old fashioned the arbitration process still is by all accounts, whether or not that's really worth it. The thing that I don't want is for Josh Hader to have to sit there and listen to the brewers shit on him for, you know, two hours or however long those hearings go, because that's players who have gone through those hearings come out of them going, Oh my God, that was the worst experience of my entire life. Like, I don't want to sit there and listen to this team tell me everything that I'm awful at. And you know, they would have to sit there and talk about all the home runs he gave up last year and all of that. And it would just be, it would be a, an absolute like downer of a thing. So hopefully they can settle ahead of time, even if it's, you know, closer to his number. But we'll see, you know, MLB teams, they hand around that championship belt, right? For which team saves the most money in arbitration which is kind of a ridiculous and awful thing, but it is awful. Like it's not about that. Now I'm mad all over again. I'm curious in those hearings, like I, uh, arbitration is, you know, it's not like court. It's pretty open as to what you're allowed to do. I also wonder if things like old tweets get brought up in things like that. Um, <laughs> That's a good question. And even if I'm, I'm, they might be reluctant to do something like that, but you know, they're pretty cutthroat on saving $2 million. So I do kind of wonder if that's, also a possibility. Um, we should also take a second to yell at John Heyman, who um, incorrectly broke those arbitration numbers and made everybody very angry for about uh, 90 seconds before he corrected it, which is he had the Brewers um, filing $3.2 million, half of what Hader filed, which seemed completely insane and um, got like got the Brewer tweet, Twitter feed yelled at like for by hundreds of people immediately. So... Um, don't know what he was thinking. That's quite the typo. <laughs> I hope they settle too. That that would be, I think, an ugly hearing. And um, I think it would be worth avoiding for all parties. We know they're already willing to play, pay uh, big contributors in their bullpen substantial money considering what they're paying Knable, um this season. So uh, Hater is obviously much more important to them than that. So I think it makes sense that he would be around but i think once you start exceeding 10 million it gets to the point where they want to cut loose on that money so i do think the arbitration clock while they don't mind paying him what they're paying him right now is a ticking time bomb in terms of how long he's with the team because eventually he's going to get overpaid for his value yeah that was going to be my next question for you guys is is these numbers are going to start racking up in a hurry right so how much time realistically do you see Josh Hader sticking around is is this maybe his last year? I mean, relievers I have short yes. shelf lives anyway, right? Like we don't know as elite relievers, there are very few that come in to the league at like 22, 23, the way Hader did and are dominant and continue to be dominant for a long time. Guys, it's a short shelf life spot and guys go through ups and downs. And when you establish as high a baseline as he has, obviously, you've got uh, you've got some wiggle room to have down years. But 
there's still, you know, the questions of injury and degradation of stuff, and you just don't know any pitcher is is liable for those sorts of problems. So yeah, I, I think it would be much it would be much less likely that he makes it to the end of arbitration with the Brewers and becomes a free agent from the Brewers than him being traded before then. I think it, that's much more likely. I don't know if that's this year, next year, what exactly the time frame of it is, but I think it is more likely that he's gone than he makes it all the way through arbitration. I'll be a little surprised if he finishes with the team this year. Um, if they're if he's having like a bounce back season, which I think is quite possible if they if they fix the ball, which I think is quite possible, um, and they're not in contention, he, I think he's the obvious you know one A trade chip that they have. So um, I, I I'll be surprised if he's still on the team at the end of the uh, end of the year, and next year I'll be very very surprised if he's still on the team at the end of that season. You mean if they fall out of contention? If they fall out of contention, yeah. Which I think yeah. is probably less likely. I mean, I don't. It would be hard to imagine them to be completely out of it at July 31st, which I think is kind of what I, it would need to be for them to trade him. But hopefully not. But I think that there are many plausible scenarios that lead to that happening, um, just depending on how the league breaks. And I mean, I assume like Cincinnati will be much better. There's a lot of teams in the Central that could be, well, I guess the Cardinals and Cubs are, will be fine um, ish. But there's another contender there, possibly. So, and they're changing so much. Like, what if one of the you know three best brewers gets hurt? What, what if Yelich is hurt again? What if um, who else would even make that big a dent at this point? I guess. But um, yeah, you get out of it pretty quickly if they lose you know a huge war contributor potentially. So um, there's stuff that could go wrong and make that happen. And yeah, it's could... been a while since we've had really bad bad luck. Um, so. No, that's true. I knock on something for you. Yeah. The one thing I would say is, um, and we'll talk about this more down the road, but like the Reds, I've seen people picking the Reds to like win the division. Uh, Fangraph's war projections for next year has the Reds solidly in fourth, like they always are. Um, they nailed they're, the the Cubs last year. More, more than two wins beneath where the uh, where the Brewers are right now. So I know that they get a lot of love because of, you know, sexy additions and all that stuff, but the Reds are still a pretty flawed team and maybe they can, they can make this work, but they've also spent a lot of their capital that they have in terms of trades uh, and in money to win right now. So they really need to, because the outlook will get bad fast for the Reds because they traded away uh, half of their top six prospects basically to get Trevor Bauer is the way that that ended up working out for them. <laughs> and we'll see Trevor Bauer is definitely going to walk after this year. They like an idea of an extension there happening. Um, they have a bunch of older players mixed in with some younger players, but their payroll situation is not real flexible. So the reds are not necessarily like if they're going to win, they kind of need to win this year because the outlook is going to get harder and harder. And if you want an example of like, what having bad management can do for your team, look no further than, yeah, the Reds and the Pirates for how they've mismanaged themselves over the last few years because they have gotten panicky about wanting to win now and have gotten themselves into all kinds of trouble in terms of the players that they traded away and the contracts that they've given out. And, well, especially for the Reds. The, the Pirates don't pay anybody, but especially for the Reds, they've put themselves in a bad position that way. So we well, will see. They're in a bad, they're, they're in a bad position in two years, but they're in a better position now. 
it might not be good enough, but they are. So they're they're a threat, even if it's not a you know totally enormous one. Right, they're a contender, but it's kind of they've they've sacrificed a lot to open up what it looks like a very short window. So it kind of the opposite of, of what the Brewers do. Yeah, it reminds me of the Padres from a few years ago when they traded all their assets to put it together that dream team. They have Myers, Kemp, um, tried to put together a solid rotation. That was and, a fun year. Yeah, and they ended up being miserable. They did. And trading them all away midseason uh, or in the offseason. And they're and, just now kind of coming out of it after Preller yeah, did his rebuild. Yeah, it was rebuild. really damaging. Yeah. It was very damaging. And now they have a bunch of toys and you can just see them like trying to restrain themselves from doing more stupid things with all of their deep farm system. So I, I it re- gives me a lot of that feeling where it was like, it's kind of like the assembling of a dream team with lesser, with not super important players, but players who will make the team better. And I wonder if it will actually come together the way they're hoping. Um, I don't know if the Reds can actually play Mike Moustakis intelligently for a full season at second base the way the Brewers can. Um, I don't know if they they shift that way. Um, I don't know how um, if Sonny Gray can stay healthy for a full season. I really like Sonny Gray and what DJ has done to him, but it's it's there's a lot of questions there. Does Bauer all of a sudden go crazy and start hucking balls over outfield fences again? Um, there's a lot of instability. They are built for success. I think Paul's right. They are a threat, but also I can see them being a pin drop away from being a disaster, um, which is what Ryan's talking about. And I think they're set up to, to be both. And the beginning of the season is going to determine a lot for how that crumbles. Um, if they do overtake the Brewers, yeah, I think trading Josh Hader is just the smartest dang thing they can about do to recoup a lot of what they lost from the farm and get some assets back. And I think uh, as good as Hader is, the bullpen is replaceable even when you're talking about the best pitchers in the game. Uh, you can make up for that by getting a better all-around group of players rather than surviving off of one player who's phenomenal. I mean, they also found Pomeranz last year, who was probably better than Hader on the stretch. So even yeah. those guys are out there if you know where to look for them. And they obviously know where to look for them. They do. They're good at that. Right. All right. Uh, we have some uh, listener questions that we can uh, probably turn to now. Uh, we'll start with the, the Patreon questions. As always, you can go to Patreon, sign up, and ask us questions. You get priority on those. Uh, PJ Wessels asks... Or says, here's to the new era. Well, thank you. Uh, who gets to explain infield outs above average from StatCast? Now, that's that's the uh, new infield metric that they had rolled out this week. Um, takes a lot of things into consideration, just kind of trying to get a better idea of infield defense with all the shifting and everything going on. Um, anybody? <laughs> anybody talks Con- on the new metric? I, I know confession it's time. So, so I haven't looked hard enough at the thing to explain it. All I know is that it means it shows that RCO is bad. That's about as far as my knowledge gets into it. I think it's pretty easy to explain or uh, understand the general gist. However, how they compile it is the thing that I still need to study a little bit more. Um, Paul, our yeah. statistical expert. <laughs> I, I I have not looked into it that much either. It just was a busy time and I've been doing football. I, I do know, you know, Defense has been hard to track for um, for everybody, 
statistically um, without sort of player tracking data, just because there's always inherent problems with um, with things like zone rating, with people covering different, drastically different zones from one team to the other, with shifting, totally throwing everything out of whack. So what this does try to do is use uh, our much better now tracking data to make more accurate judgments about you know what an average fielder gets to like what an um how teams specifically are playing and players um specifically playing balls what they're responsible for what they're not but um it, it's it's more complicated than that and that's just a gist of it so um gotta look more into it too it, it's it uh, the results on it seem to be they make sense they pass the smell test at least they are they seem to be reasonably accurate and on players where we've had sort of a, I think, a disagreement between various metrics on if they're good or not, um, I think that the results there in RC in particular make sense, which, um, you know, if you if you watch RC a play, he often looks very good. He has good range. Um, he makes flashy plays. Um, but metrics have always kind of hated him um, to some extent. Um, back and forth a little bit, but um, this is decidedly against him. And um, I think... That's probably the correct answer on Arcia because while he does make flashy plays, while he does have good range, he's very technically unsound kind of across the board. Hitting, he does not adjust well uh, when told what to do. And I don't see the, I don't think there's a reason to doubt that that's the case on fielding as well, especially when you see him make so many errors on simple balls, um, on things that are hit to him that he should gobble up, on throwing the ball too hard, too inaccurately. Um, he likes the flashy, he likes the instinct, but... Uh, I think this correctly is capturing that he was a disaster across the board last year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what it looks like going forward for him. He's had there have been like big disagreements on some of the metrics. I know fielding runs above average, which is baseball prospectuses uh, stats loved him back in 17, 16, 17 in, in that sort of era. And it did considerably more than other metrics. Like there was a big disagreement on that. And so you kind of have to wait and see where this, what this looks like. Arcia is, is such a tricky player because the talent is quite obvious and you can see the skills that are there. And he has shown flashes of being a good player, both on the defensive and the offensive side of the ball. And we, we've just never really seen it all come together and, and look really good. But at the same time, you're also still talking about a guy who, what, last year played at 25? or he's going into his age 25 season, like he's still relatively young. And so a guy, it, it is not unheard of for a guy to take until sort of their mid twenties to achieve sort of a consistency and understanding of what it takes to be a day in day out player at the major league level. So you kind of have to hope that that's the case. I know we talked earlier in this off season about the fact that uh, the new assistant hitting coach really wants to work with him and see what kind of results will come from that. And uh, I know that I got grief from my former co-hosts about buying into that. But I, I do think it's worth kind of waiting and seeing on a guy when, especially in RCS case, it does not take much money here to find out what this is going to become. You don't have to, to spend a bunch of money this year to see what he can do. So you know what the biggest support for the new metric is um, on Arcia is that Last year, over the course, second half of the season especially, it became pretty clear that the Brewers didn't want to play him at shortstop very much. Um, <laughs> right, even when you're putting out Perez and Saladino. <laughs> exactly. They, they, they tried everything to replace him. And I, I know we all assume it's for his bat, but they weren't even putting him in his defensive replacement, which is 
if you liked his defense, you'd still think they would do that. So um, whatever the Brewers have going on behind the scenes numbers-wise, they seem to think that Arcia is a butcher on defense as well. Um, and so, I, I, I mean, he, you're right, he's young. Um, I, I just, I'm down on him. To, he, it doesn't strike me as very coachable. Um, of course, he's he has made improvements in the minors. It's not like he's never improved. His bat got better at various points in the minors. But uh, he's been in the league kind of a while now. <laughs> it would have been nice to see him not take, you know, not to actually backslide, which is what's really happened with him. Yeah, and it, it seems that he's backslid both offensively from where he was when in yep. 2017 he had a pretty solid offensive year. He backslid in 18 and didn't really come out of it in 2019. Uh, much except there was a little bit of a power though you can probably ascribe that more to the to the ball than anything else uh but yes the degradation is going to crash so hard if they fix the ball like that's going to be a just an awful batting line well he's going to have to become a better hitter like there's i think he has to become a better hitter and he has to become a better fielder and the question is whether or not he's going to decide to do that and i think that if he doesn't i think this is kind of it especially if urias breaks out this year and becomes the sort of player that we we kind of hope that he can, especially offensively, that probably makes Arcia expendable. The hope would be that they both have very good years, and then you're looking at a situation where you could potentially trade probably Arcia. But that's, you know, that's the dream. We'll, we'll see if it actually comes to fruition. Probably unlikely. Well, on the topic of uh, Ryan getting grief, Adam Post asked, with Steve moving on to greener pastures, who's officially taking up the mantle of making fun of Ryan? Well, I'd like to give credit I to JP. Brad, he's got lots of opinions. <laughs> I'd like to give credit to JP, too, because JP did not. It, it started slower. Steve and I have been friends for like 20 years and have argued for a very long time about a lot of different things. Uh JP came into his own as that podcast went on in terms of uh, busting on my chops. So, like, <laughs> let's let's give credit to him too there for it. But yeah, who's uh, who's going to take up the mantle? You know, based on our Twitter conversation, I think we always have exactly the same opinions, and I never bust on you for anything. So I don't know why it would be me. No, <laughs> no, I I don't think I'm taking up at all <laughs> I'm, but i'm happy to share it with paul <laughs> my my cuts tend to be a little rarer but a little more cutting i think so um <laughs> save up good ones for every now awesome and then dude. you like to keep it subtle. and picked all of us because we're going to be nice to him. if uh <laughs> if my prior history has taught me anything it's that i'm actually probably going to take the mantle from ryan of being the punching bag which is fine i've always been happy playing that role so maybe ryan will be get the one getting the shots in I don't know if we can deal with that. That sounds we, bad. We might free him from his <laughs> little prison. <laughs> All right. <laughs> More questions. Uh, Marcus Horton asks on Twitter, uh, Tom Hodricourt seems to believe the Brewers still plan on adding starting pitchers, relievers, and he said third base before uh, the Jerko signing. Would you agree or disagree? Is there still more things that David Stearns needs to take care of in the month or so before spring training starts? Yeah, he's going to keep adding people, but they're going to be depth pieces. They're going to be minor league deals. They're going to be, I think, the significant moves. There's still the possibility for it. I mean, just because he has two third basemen now isn't going to stop him from it. The price on Kyle Seeger, just to throw out a name, gets right. He's going to jump on that and still take advantage of it if he thinks the team can be better because of it. Um, I think to 
he's just a guy who's always adding. He's always cl- claiming people on waivers, always making minor league deals throughout the year. Um, he, so yeah, there's, there's going to be more. I just think that the significance of it is unlikely just because there's not a lot of players who are available, who are really difference makers anymore. I think Donaldson's out of the picture, not necessarily because Sogard and Jerko, but more because he's expecting four years, 110 million. Um, so like the impact and he's one of the last impact bats that they wanted someone like a, a Uzuna then I can't imagine them signing Ozuna and uh, Garcia in the same offseason. Not going to work. And I I doubt that Stearns is looking at it like he has big, obvious holes at this point. So Hardikart might think uh, he has opinions about the weaknesses of the team too, and I think he just spouts that those need to be filled. But um, the Brewers go into seasons all the time with this level of starting pitching. Um, I'm relievers are totally fungible to them they'll pick up what's available they'll cut guys freely but i think offensively they're pretty much set except for depth pieces and pitching wise i think they're pretty much set um except for you know people who happen to become available or fill-ins or depth so i i I think this is kind of what you're going to get for the most part um other than back-end people yeah and i think stearns is shocking being shockingly for a guy who's very deceptive about he's going to do and very coy about how he approaches adding people i think when he says i'm very happy with the players we have he's that's the one time he's always been pretty honest about things yep. he said that going with about his rotations the last few seasons and we're all like no he's just saying that being coy, <laughs> and he's gonna add someone else and then he doesn't because obviously starting pitching we i don't get why we talk ourselves in off season after off season after off season like this will be the year he adds it's like the biggest beat reporter and like rube reporter like hole in their thinking about the brewers is that oh they, they're finally gonna get an ace to fix the rotation like no the, the first of all the rotation's usually good at the end of the season like it usually puts up yep. good numbers and they're not gonna do that it's not it, they've proven that it's not their thing and it's not something they care to do so yeah, that's not happening. Yes, yeah, so they accidentally got an ace. They think he's fun, and that's all. Not an ace, but a good pitcher. Yeah. Well, I was thinking that, about that this week. If you look at, like, the big difference between, say, a Dallas Keuchel and a uh, Brett Anderson is the ability to feel good about them going deeper into games um, by, you know, just a little bit. And health is, like, the big the big difference there. Like, really, it's, it's mostly about that. The Brewers under Craig Council, simply are not going to very often let a starter face the heart of the order a third time through in a position where they could like do serious damage to their chances to win the game. Council will let a starter go a little bit more when they're up big or when they're already down. He will, he will give a little bit of flexibility that way. But when it is close, he is not going to let a team like come back on his tired starter. If we know anything about Council's entire management style it's that that he doesn't want to let his tired starter give up a lead and I don't think that's going to change and there are there are precious few pitchers if you look at the number of pitchers who actually throw 200 innings I was looking at this the other day in 1999 it was I think 46 guys through 200 innings in last year how many how many do you think it was last year who made it to uh, 200 innings 14 yeah that's just about exactly right it was like 15 I think 15 or 16 so guys just don't anywhere go as deep as they used to. And the Brewers don't want to let starters, especially mediocre starters, 
potentially lose them games in the middle innings. That's just not how Craig Council or David Stearns or how any of them want to operate. So I think that there's a thing that gets missed a little bit here is that for the Brewers, the way that they want to manage things, spending money on starters is almost a waste because they're just not going to give them the kind of room to accrue the sort of value that other teams might let them do or teams in the past would have let them do. So it's just not a way that they choose to really spend their money because there's just not value there for them. And I I get that. Yeah, I think the only I think a lot of their restrictions on pitchers have been because they've had a lesser quality pitcher, but they found a way to make lesser pay less for pitchers and make them successful by having that type of control. I think you'll see Woodruff go into six, seventh innings a lot more than you'll see like a Lauer go into a sixth and seventh inning, which will only be when things are going perfectly for him. But mm-hmm. you look at how they've, like you said, historically, it's just they know that they can make a, a pitcher who's not that good. Like Chase Anderson, he, he there's good things about him, but there's not he's not that good. And they could make him look like an ace with the appropriate management of him. And it's just how they've decided to structure their team in a way that will save them resources. Um, and one day, maybe they'll use those resources. <laughs> <laughs> one day, maybe. <laughs> one day. Well, on the topic of using resources, uh, Baron Lens Photography sent us a Twitter question this morning. Uh, why do the Reds have $24 million more committed to, to, committed to 2020 player contracts right now than the Brewers? Why would a team that made the playoffs twice in two years and fell one game short of the World Series cut payroll when the best players on the team are still there? Follow up, why shouldn't I be mad as hell at the Brewers right now? <laughs> uh, I think if you look at the Reds moves, it seems they seem a lot more panicky, wouldn't you guys say? Yeah, I would. I think that's like, fair. Is the answer the Reds are dumb? That's yeah. part of the answer, yes. <laughs> well, well, I mean, right. this, is the, this is the moral hazard, right? This is when a... GM gets in a position where they are clearly on the hot seat. Dick Williams is clearly on the hot seat in Cincinnati, and he is feeling like he needs to do something to save his job. And so he's going to make these panicky moves. Like I said, in effect, they traded away uh, Josiah Gray, um, Jeter Downs, and Taylor Trammell, three of their top five or six prospects, to get a season and a half of, uh, of Trevor Bauer. Like, under no circumstances in today's game does like anybody do that like <laughs> intentionally and they did it because they're desperate they're desperate to win because people are going to lose their jobs and i think that that's you know i get that the reds are spending more money and if it was just a matter of spending more money that that would be that would be good, but you have to look at it too, that this is money, not just for now, but also money for later. The Reds have gotten themselves into potentially a payroll problem in the future as well with handing out a contract to Mike Moustakis, where the back end of that could be iffy. And they're not necessarily going to be able to, to sustain anything like this level at this point because they haven't built up a, a solid foundation uh, the way that the Brewers have. And yeah, the Brewers could definitely spend more money. That's it's inarguable. The Brewers could spend more money. I think that part of it is this winter, uh, the market took off in a way that it hadn't in the last few years. And I think that they 
were more content to just stay away from big multi-year deals because as JP pointed out, you know, a lot this winter, teams, especially the the smarter teams and the Brewers definitely qualify as that, are wary of giving up deals where they know the back end is going to end poorly, where they are feel very certain that the back end it used to be that teams would hand out a long-term deal knowing that the back end was going to be tricky and that it was going to be painful. And teams just aren't as willing to accept that as part of the the cost of doing business as they used to be. And the brewers are staying away from that. And it it sucks for now. It it really hurts the 2020 brewers that they didn't get Yasmani Grandal on that contract or Mike Moustakas on that contract. But it probably is better for the 2023 brewers that they don't have those guys on those contracts. So it, it all comes down to, well, do you want to get into a, a boom bust cycle, which is, you know, long been the thing, or do you want to give David Stearns the chance to do what he said he's going to do since he got here, which is he wants to try to compete perennially. And a big part of that is not committing a bunch of bad money to aging players and ending up kind of in a position where rebuilding becomes necessary because you just don't have the talent, your payroll's in bad shape and you need to just cut back and, and take a breath and go back to, to reset things. They don't want to do that. And so this is kind of a grand experiment to see if this can actually work. And I'm on board for it because I think what we saw throughout the Doug Melvin era was a constant boom and bust cycle. And it got to be frustrating at times because they couldn't seem to ever put together back to back solid years. And they're trying to do that now. And I'm willing to kind of give that space for them to try to do that because I think it's a worthy experiment, even if it is frustrating in the moment like it is right now. Yeah, and I'm the guy who wrote an entire article about how they need to finally cut a check to someone. But even I'm not, like, panicky about this. Do I prefer they would have signed uh, Josh Donaldson? Yeah, but as much as I want a superstar name, I get that there's significant danger in signing a player like Josh Donaldson, who he hasn't been injury prone for. He had two bad years of back-to-back injury problems. But um, and he's an MVP caliber guy, but I think there's a lot of risk in signing a guy through age 37. So to sign him for four years for 125 million dollars seems actually to me a lot more risky than signing a Mike Moustakis to his contract that he got with the Reds. Um, so I get why the current market has stopped them. And also when you have teams like the Yankees coming out of the woodwork and suddenly spending money again, something they hadn't really done in a while, and all of a sudden you have guys who are not waiting until February to sign $300 million contracts. The market was just different. I want them to spend two, but if the only thing you're using in terms of off-season success is the amount of dollars they spent, I think as much as I'd like them to spend on better free agents, you're looking at it the wrong way because instead they're building a pretty competent core. Again, I think they think their big splash move was acquiring Urias, who they have for six seasons now, and I think the fans are going to grow to appreciate that move more uh, later on in the season. But it, it's, yeah, they're cutting payroll, but I don't think they're cutting payroll because they felt like they were too high before. I think they're cutting payroll because they think the moves at hand don't require them to spend as much as they did last season. Yeah, as long as as long as they, they win and put a competent team on the field, it doesn't matter how much they spend. It, it it's sort of and the Reds are not the best comp because they are they're not a good front office they're a stupid team, um, which is not to say they couldn't have spent more money. It, it does depend on the deals that are out there. 
but I, I also would have liked to have seen them spend a little bit more money. They, they had some timing issues, like Randall was early, but uh, it doesn't like your payroll does not functionally matter as long as you do end up competing. If they get to the end of the season and a lot of these risky signings blow up in their face, not enough lottery tickets hit, you know, um, that's that's one of the risks that they are taking here and they could have alleviated by ponying up for somebody like Donaldson Well, potentially alleviate it anyway. There are no sure things in baseball, especially with old guys. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, everything they've done has made a certain degree of sense. They do seem a little cheap. I do think there probably was some kind of order to cut payroll to some extent based on how much they did sit out early, but you know, the market does market was drastically different this year. Um, and you know that happens sometimes too. It'll be interesting to see next next off season if this rebounds a bit too, because they have money coming off the books, and um, if they do need to fix things after this season, they should have a lot more flexibility to do it. So I do kind of also get making this more of a um, a lottery ticket season with next season in view as a more sure thing. Like we can actually make more moves to fix things that go wrong. The funny thing about it is, so they're doing a lot of things similarly to what they did in 2018, aside from there's no Kane or Yelich. Um, <laughs> but in terms of like all the core that they built around them, uh, there's a lot of similar things. And they're getting guys who maybe aren't considered great, but have control. And you're looking at like a Narvaez. But the difference in what they learned their lesson is now they know to keep guys around if they have success. They put on those options, and now they're like, ah, you won't get away this time, Wade Miley. <laughs> uh, so if Justin Smoke comes out and he just dominates as a left-handed hitter in Miller Park, they have that flexibility. But also, that's the Also, same. that's not going to happen, but okay. No, no. It, just throwing out hypotheticals whether or not they're going to happen <laughs> just to put them out there, but... If, uh, if Sogard, for some reason, maintains his performance, which, again, isn't going to happen, um, <laughs> you have that flexibility there. And if not, you just cut bait, and it's not that big a loss. Yeah. Uh, the only guy they committed to is the guy who we more or less know what he is, and Garcia, and he also has some potential to be even better than what he was, but he's had that potential and has been almost the exact same guy, so I think expecting more from him is insane in a way. Um, but... So, like, the bet is smart, it, and I get why it's frustrating, because, ooh, Justin Smoke, cool. But <laughs> I, I can see, like I said, as long as there's logic there, I think fans should be able to find that logic and be satisfied with how they're thinking, and they're trying to build a smart team that will compete for them as long as they're managed appropriately, and they have one of the best minds at managing a game plan through to its best potential True. at the helm. Yeah, and I think that that is kind of what this offseason is, is they've given Craig Council as many tools as they could for him to be able to push buttons and figure out where things fit together and how it's all going to work as a unit. And I think that there is something to be said for playing to your strengths. Like when you know that you have a certain thing that's very good, uh, say you have a, a an elite pitch framing catcher uh, under long-term contract, say you have that guy there, uh, maybe you start looking at certain types of pitchers and say, yeah, this is a guy I'm willing to give a couple of years to because, yeah, he does rely on getting calls on the corners, but we have a guy who's going to get him those. Well, when you have a manager like Craig Council, take advantage of that fact and give him a bunch of different pieces to mix and match and use because that's what he's so good at. And that's what he's he's good at extracting that value. So there is some sort of like 
kind of symbiosis that works there. Like, can you would- we uh, quick, quickly jump into Brad conspiracy corner? I think they got a catcher who was not great at pitch framing because they expect the robot umpires to be a thing in the near future. And that way, if they sign Yasmani Grandal to a four-year contract and his value is not only in his offense, but heavily in his pitch framing, pitch framing stop matters when it's an automated system that's going to detect where the ball lands regardless of where the catcher's glove is. So how quickly do you think they would do it then? Like, what's your time frame? Next season. I don't think so. I would, yeah, uh, I'm with Paul. I think that'd be surprising. Implementing it this year, the umpires said they were okay with it. They implemented it in the minor leagues to test it out, and so far the program has gone well. There have been some problems with the program. Um, it has had some high-profile failures. Videos. I love yeah. the Twitter videos of the players trying to argue with a robot. <laughs> <laughs> and it's had some calibration issues still. Um, it, it is definitely not major league ready at this point and would not have been for this season. Even if they would have said they were going ahead with it, I think they would have had to scrap it. Um, I think next year is the earliest it would possibly happen, and I'll be surprised if that happens. I think they're going to want to roll it out in the minor leagues for an extended period of time. Just yeah. one to Not work out the, the kinks or whatever it's in. Yeah. One to work out the kinks. Well, they brought it to what was it, the Arizona fall league this year. So they kind of tested it out on, um, you know, less serious levels for organized ball for. Right. And I think the ball. schedule involves more uh, half league implementation this year. But I think the other part of it is you're going to have to sell the players on this. And we know, especially it's like old pitchers are cranky about this shit, right? Like, uh, can you imagine Madison Bumgarner, like just accepting that, like, oh, yeah, the strike zone that you're now throwing to is like all screwed up compared to what it used to be like that dude is going to have a fit. And so I think that they want to. They're going to take time to just roll this out as slowly as possible because but, but Manfred has never showed any hesitancy to care about what the hell other people or the players in the field give about his rules. If he thinks it's about improving the game, he just does it. Well, I mean, they did the the whole uh, three batter thing. They've been trying to get consensus with the players on that to let them. And that would be the closest kind of comp to this, I guess, is they're trying to get consensus with the players on that. So. I don't think they want to just shove it in because they know that it has the potential to be the way baseball gets judged more harshly than other sports when they screw things up, uh, I think is something that they're keenly aware of. And they know that they're going to take an absolute pile of crap from people if this rollout doesn't work. And so I think they're, they're kind of proceeding cautiously with it. And I would be surprised to see them, like Paul said, to do it. I don't know. Quickly. I think you're giving professional baseball too much credit this is an organization that still hasn't fixed their damn replay system and we're going into the third or fourth year of it and it still can't get basic calls right um, i mean I have you watched football really... though <laughs> that's everybody but college football so yeah footballs was better until they started putting a lot of opinion into how a game is refed um and then all of a sudden there was a lot of naysay about what what any call meant um but baseball has a lot of hard fact into what they're doing, and a guy can slide in two feet ahead of a tag and still be ruled out um, because the guy at New York probably never gets the feed and is like, ah, sure, yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, I trust you. And, or, I mean, the biggest thing that baseball does that's worse than the rest of them is just the delays. Especially for things that so aren't many, that hard. So many delays. I mean, football's all delays, so it's it's seamless with football. I mean, right? It just feels right. Yeah, it's it's like the commercial after kickoff. 
Yeah, um, I mean, that really is. they Football has so much dead time anyway. It stands out more in baseball. And I think that if they want to do something to actually fix things, getting the time between pitches down, that's going to be the biggest thing to actually fix, like, pace of play stuff. Is Everyone should pitch pitches. like Brad Suter. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I get the issue with that when you understand the mind game that goes into pitching, but it's no different than the play clock. Like, you can guess the snap right every time if Aaron Rodgers is getting the ball at 0-0. Zero, zero. That you um, can. But... So that's what the hesitancy is, and the base running game becomes significantly different in uh, the pitch clock scenario, but then just don't throw it at 0-0 seems easy enough. Um, but I I don't know. I think they could, with how much fans seem to rage against it, I think that could heavily weigh on Manfred because I think public opinion in enjoyment of the game significantly matters to him yep. in his decision making. Absolutely. Well, if you have any other questions or topics for Brad's conspiracy corner, you can join our <laughs> Patreon by patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Again, patrons at the ball and glove level and above get our monthly minor league extra now with Brad. You can also send in your questions via Twitter to MKE Tailgate or in an email to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or on our Milwaukee's Tailgate Podcast Network Facebook page. Um, if you haven't already, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, anywhere else you listen to podcasts, please subscribe. While you're there, please leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. Well, Ryan, thanks again, and thanks to all of you for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Mm-hmm.